Welcome into the Section 113 podcast, everybody. Travis Demers here with you as the Blazers continue on to take on the L.A. Lakers down in L.A. on Sunday early afternoon. It's been a great start to the Trailblazers season. Just two games in, and we said this on the radio broadcast on Friday night, that, look, I don't know what the next 80 games is going to hold, but through two games of the season, it it feels like things are back to normal in Rip City. And the way that last year ended, the struggles, uh, going 2-21 and after the All-Star break, seeing players that you, you had to you know, go look things up on to learn about them. You, you didn't know the guys. Some of them have stuck around, some of them haven't. But it was, it was a tough end of the season last year. So with all of the things that happened in the offseason, trades, free agency, draft, hope, all of this stuff, optimism, pessimism, everything in between, I know we're only two games into the season. And I don't want to get too far out in front of myself. But through two games, it looks like order has been restored. I don't know what's going to happen for the next 80 games. But so far, so good. And it's not just the fact that they've won games. It's the way that they've done it in different ways. Physicality coming back. Uh, Damian Lillard carrying the team against Phoenix. And then everybody doing their part down the stretch of the fourth quarter and in the overtime. And getting a complete team effort against Sacramento. The defense has been there. There have been so many things to be optimistic about. Again, so much is left in the season. We're two games in, but it's been a really good start, and it's encouraging. And that's that's something that's, that's great to see early on in the year. All right, my guest today is the Blazers get set to take on the Lakers is Bill Oram from the Oregonian. He covered the Lakers for nine years and now returns home to Oregon to cover the Portland Trailblazers for the Oregonian. Uh, Bill, you've seen enough of these matchups before. This is I mean, anytime the Blazers and Lakers get together, we talk about all the cliches and things like that. But for the Blazers, the Lakers is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, it was funny too because seeing it from the Lakers' perspective over the last decade, it was a real, um, it was always a real tough one for the Lakers when they would come up to Portland. I mean, there was a stretch of years and years that. Um, you know, Kobe would bring the Lakers up to up, up to Portland, and it would be a loss. And so, you know, that has always been kind of a, a thorn in the Lakers' side. Um, I don't think that ever really extended as much when the Blazers were in in uh, in Los Angeles. And you know, for, as, from a rivalry standpoint, you know, I remember growing up in, in Portland and or growing up in Oregon, and kind of the, the mentality toward the Lakers was just pure hatred, and the you know, just this you know sense that that was the team that you know that you disliked more than any other team in the league cover the Lakers for 10 years. You realize there's about 29 teams that feel that way about the Los Angeles Lakers. But um, you know, those have been really good games over the years. Dame tends to really play well against the Lakers. And, and you know, the one that stands out recently, Travis, and you were there was last year, right before the all-star break when everybody had been traded or shut down and LeBron and the Lakers and Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook sat out, but came to Moda center and lost to, you know, Trendon Watford and, and, uh, Kelgen Blevins and you know a bunch of guys yes. who like the, I mean literally we were in the Lakers locker room after the game and they were asking who some of those guys were and they just they just beat them when the Lakers by the way were in just this critical must win stretch of their season because it was falling apart and you know they couldn't they could they couldn't uh, keep up with with the guys that uh, that Chauncey was running out there out of necessity. You know, the, uh, before we get into the Lakers, I want to uh, for for this year, I want to get your thoughts on the Blazers so far because we're two games in and they found ways to win in, in different ways in both of those games and against a good team in Phoenix on Friday night. 
but there's a, a level of physicality and toughness with the Blazers that we haven't seen in, in a long, long time. So what's your early read on this team two games in? I mean, it's been impressive, and I'm not going to overreact. I was actually texting with uh, with a scout last night, and I was saying, you know, I don't want to overreact to any of this, but um, you know, but he was he was he was on board that the Blazers have looked really really good, and you know, you'd rather be encouraged through two games than discouraged. And you know, the fact sure. that they've won in kind of different ways, I thought that you know, in the Kings win, the fact that they had um, that they had uh, you know had the ability to you know, win on a night Dame didn't have a, a great shooting performance and, you know, got contribute contributions from all over the place. Josh Hart, you know, Kevin Simons, you know, all those guys kind of stepped up and, and, and filled their roles. It allowed them to overcome a poor Dame night. And then Dame, of course, has the big game in game two. So I think the fact that they've shown that versatility and like you said, that toughness and that fight, um, you know, that's what Chauncey and, and, and Joe Cronin have talked about wanting this team to be, you know, have have, you know, more of that just sort of tenacity and being connected. And you've seen that early on. So, um, you know, I'd say, you know, positive early returns. The, the Lakers are 0-2. It is not inconceivable to me at all that the Blazers could be 3-0, and you know, coming home on Monday. And that would be, you know, a really, really impressive start just considering, you know, some of the narrative around the Blazers, you know, some of the holes that we all know they have. But, uh, you know, if, if they could be 3-0 and with, you know, wins against the Kings team that is trying to take a step this year, the Suns, who are obviously a title contender, and then a Lakers team that likes to think it's a title contender, um, that would be a really positive sign for the Blazers. You know, so with that, with the Lakers right now, I mean, there's always drama. But this has been uh, – the, the summer has been an unusually high level of drama, it sounds like, with you know, the Russell Westbrook situation. Are they going to keep him around? Does he want to be there? Is he good enough? Uh, putting the roster together. You look at the, the Lakers roster 1 through 15 <laughs> – and there's just not a ton of depth. So what do you see with this Lakers roster? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the deal with the devil Rob Plinka made when he traded for Russell Westbrook. And it's not just, you know, Russ is a bad fit, which he is. And I think most of us could have told him before he made the trade. And people internally were telling him, by the way. Um, but, you know, you traded three guys who made, you know, $12, 15000000 million in Montrezl Harrell. I think he was around 10 million, but like, just think about this from a mathematical standpoint and a quality of role player standpoint, you're trading guys make 10 million in Montrezl Harrell, 12 million in, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope, 15 million in Kyle Kuzma. That, that's a higher caliber of role player than you can go, just go get. And so you're basically, a, you need Russell Westbrook to elevate, you know, your, your team more than those three role players did. And that is a really difficult task for really any one player but especially a player like Russell Westbrook, who not only hasn't been you know, good for the Lakers, but I think is actively weighing them down. So, I mean, it's really one of the all-time worst trades in NBA history, and I just have no qualms saying that. I mean, it's an embarrassment that Rob Palenka thought that was a good idea and has continued to sort of stand by it. Um, but, you know, when you look at this team and what they've kind of tried to do, you know, they've only had minimum contracts available to offer to build out a roster around these three guys. And, you know, they've done well on the margins in the past. I mean, sort of the Alex Caruso model, you know, they did a good job, you know, finding Austin Reeves last year uh, in the undrafted free agent market. I mean, if you watch their first couple of games, he's playing big time minutes down the stretch for the Lakers, you know, an undrafted guard out of, uh, out of Oklahoma. So that is, um, you know, that's a good find by their scouting department, but you look at the roster, like you're talking about, I mean, it's, you know, Troy Brown Jr. Who's hurt. It's, you know, Lonnie Walker who, you know, came on a, mid-level after sort of never finding, really finding his stride in San Antonio. Um, you know, guys like that who 
you know, you kind of need, you kind of need to pop or to really benefit from being around LeBron James. And I think the Lakers are actually kind of trying to find more guys who are in the model of uh, what Malik Monk did last year. If you go back to last year's Laker roster, it was all these veterans who were, you know, a little long in the tooth, past their prime. Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Kent Bazemore, Avery Bradley, Carmelo Anthony. I could keep going. There were more of them. But, you know, and then they did have this one guy, Malik Monk, who came in and, you know, he was young. He was spry. He took advantage of all the spacing that LeBron creates and got a lot of open looks. And he had a career year and turned it into a contract with the Sacramento Kings. And, um, which is a little funny because, like, we watched the game the other night in Sacramento. It's like Malik Monk isn't really a difference maker out there. But for the Lakers, he might have been their third best best player. Um, So they've kind of done this, like, hard pivot, this whiplash the other way from how they built the roster last year to this year, now having a bunch of guys that they're hoping can have the same sort of LeBron bump or benefit that uh, Malik Monk did last year. So that's what they're hoping for. I mean, Lonnie Walker was great in the second game for them. I think he had 26 points and we haven't seen Troy Brown yet. So maybe some of those guys will have that benefit, but I just think this is a team that is way too thin, has too many guards. Uh, it still doesn't have the shooting and the spacing that it needs. I mean, you know, Patrick Beverly, Beverly becomes a really important guy on this team. He can't shoot the ball. So um, I think the Lakers still have a lot of holes and a lot of issues. But anytime you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy, which has been a big question mark these last couple of years, you know you're going to be you're going to be competitive and you're going to cause problems for teams. I read a report the other day that maybe the, the Lakers don't believe that Anthony Davis is the franchise player that they thought he was when they traded for him. Do, do you buy into that at all? Well, he's played half half the games the last two years, and that is you know I don't care if you are you know. Uh, you know, the you know, the love child of Will Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, and uh, also uh, you know Pete Maravich. Um, weird, weird love triangle there. But yeah, right. I, it just I don't. It, it doesn't. If you're only on the floor for you know 41 games a year, 40 games a year, you can't help your team win at a high level. And and so that is the thing that Anthony Davis has been dealing with. He's had some really unfortunate luck last year. You know, missed 20 games after he came down on you know somebody's foot. You know, just like you know stuff that you know, isn't necessarily his fault, you know, but, but still, I mean, this has been a really significant recurring theme ever since they came out of the bubble. And, you know, the best Anthony Davis we've ever seen was in the bubble, in the playoffs. You know, I think if you're being really honest, he was the Lakers best player in the bubble uh, on that playoff run. Um, And we just haven't seen him recreate that since, since then. And that is really disappointing. I remember going into last season talking to Rajon Rondo, who was like, he will be the MVP of the league this year. And there was still a belief that that was like, you know, he'd had injury, you know, bad injury luck the season before in kind of the, the shorter COVID, you know, follow-up year. But last year, full season, you know, there was a belief, you know, they'd had a long off season. There was a belief that he was going to come in and be different and it wasn't different. And so now you don't hear that kind of talk about Anthony Davis. So I do think that there is a, there is potential for him to sort of, you know, surprise people this year, because I think there is just so much, you know, injury fatigue with him, but I mean, he's got to, he's got to come out and prove it. And also it's not just the injuries. He's got to be tougher. I mean, he has been, you know, we've seen him get way too reliant on the jump shot, you know, defensively he is, you know, he has not been the, just the presence that you come to expect from him. So it's an interesting question. You know, is he the franchise player that they expected him to be? Because if the answer is no, and the Lakers aren't good again this year, it does start, start, start to sort of become a question of, is there a trade market for him and what does that look like? You know, and that's not something that the Lakers have ever acknowledged could be a possibility, but if 
if that pairing isn't getting it done or he isn't healthy enough to you know help LeBron get across the finish line, then I think you'd at least have to have to consider trading him. Uh, so we'll see if it comes gets to that point. Bill, before we let you go, um, you know this very well that Oregonians and Blazers fans love Oregonians and Blazers fans. <laughs> so for you, growing up in Oregon, you left to cover the Jazz and, and the Lakers, and now you're back home covering the Trailblazers. You've, you've been removed from this team for, for a long time, yeah. but obviously being you know on, on the NBA beat, you've seen them, and I know there will always be that place in, in your heart for them. What's it like coming home to cover the team that you grew up watching? I mean, it's been a lot of fun, and you know, it was it was big, you know, and it was more fun. Even I remember when I first started covering the NBA, and especially covering the Lakers and covering Kobe, to come on those those visiting trips and come to the Moda Center then and see, you know, and, and kind of be back in an environment I was very familiar with. Like I grew up going to Blazer games, you know, you know, I lived over on the coast, grew up on the coast, but we'd go to a few Blazer games every year. There's always a big event, you know. I remember like getting out of school and hopping in the car and driving straight. Straight to straight to Portland to go to the Rose Garden and then getting home at one a.m. Um, so it was always you know it was always a big event and a lot of fun. And I would watch every single Blazer game, even in the days of Blazer Vision or when the games were on KGW, whatever it was. Um, it was always you know part of my routine, and so it's fun to have that be part of my routine again. You know, I'm kind of I've got my finger in a lot of pies this, these days. You know, with with the Ducks and Beavers and Timbers and Thorns and, and Blazers also, but it's fun to have. Uh, it's fun to have the season kicking off and kind of getting back into that mode. And last night, you know, I didn't, I didn't make it downtown for the, for the game. And last night I was watching it at home, which was a terrible uh, editorial decision on my part, considering, you know, how exciting that one was, but I watched it from home and even uh, my six year old wouldn't go to sleep and he was coming downstairs. He wanted me to come lay with him. And I'm like, buddy, I'm watching the end of this game. And finally I was like, Hey, just come sit, sit with me and, and, and watch the last minute of this game. And so we ended up watching the last minute of overtime together and that was, you know, that was that was pretty cool, you know, in terms of just kind of thinking about myself at, at his age, starting to get into the team at that time when you know, it was Clyde and Terry and Buck Williams was my favorite Blazer player ever, you know, for very silly reasons, because his name was Buck Williams and my name is William. But um, that was the sort of thing I was <laughs> that was the sort of thing I was drawn to as a six year old. So Buck Williams forever has a place in my heart. And, you know, that started around the time I was, you know, four or five, six years old. And so. Uh, sitting there with my kid last night, um, it was uh, it was it was a pretty cool little thing to to think about. And you can't beat that watching the end of the game with your kid. I mean, that's I, I I'm not going to get that opportunity with my kids watching the Blazers, but sure. you know we can watch other sports and things like that. But there there's nothing like that. I mean, th- those are the things that I remember with my dad watching you know different games and sports and things that growing up that that I'll never forget. That's that's awesome that, that you guys watch that together. Well, the only thing that could have been better would have been if he just would have gone to sleep at his bedtime. That would have been the one. That <laughs> I know that story very well. <laughs> Bill Orem is with us here from the Oregonian. You can find him on Twitter at Bill Orem. If you haven't followed him, if you haven't read him yet, he's a must-follow covering the Trailblazers and all things sports for the Oregonian. Bill, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it, and we'll see you soon. Hey, thanks, Travis. It was fun. Thanks for having me on. All right, big thanks to Bill Orem from the Oregonian. Uh, that guy knows ball, and I'm very happy that he is back in town and covering the Portland Trailblazers. All right, so the next game, Sunday, 12.30 p.m. Coverage is going to start on the Trailblazers radio network and our flagship station, 6.20 a.m., Rip City Radio in the Portland area, at 11.30 a.m. Mike Lynch is going to have the pregame for you, and then Michael Holton and I will have tip-off at 12.30 as the Blazers take on the Lakers. And then it's back home. 
for a four-game homestand starting with the Denver Nuggets on Monday night. Again, big thanks to Bill Oram, my guest here, for episode number three of the Section 113 podcast. And we will see you every game night previewing the Portland Trailblazers. Thanks for listening to the Section 113 podcast. Rip City.